All right, I'm reading Psalm 73. Truly, God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they had no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice. Loftily, they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens, and their tongue struts against the earth, through the earth. Therefore, his people turn back to them and find no fault in them. And they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches, all in vain. I have kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus, I would betray the generation of your children. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task until I went to the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned their end. Truly, you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin, how they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. Like a dream when one awakes, O Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in the heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast toward you. Nevertheless, I continually, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. All right, let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we are thankful to come together and spend time focused on you being reminded of your goodness and your kindness through our songs and our confessions and our assurances and our kids. Thank you that you are the one to whom we look and we can trust you. Thank you for a psalm that can be blunt and honest and can guide us through difficulties. Thank you that you are good and kind and faithful. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, good morning. My name is Sean. I'm one of the elders here. At this point, the elder here. <laughs> I assume the, the great responsibility, so don't worry about that. So, all right. So, we're looking at Psalm 73. And I, personally, love 
Psalm 73, because when I found it, I was like, hold it, this is in the Bible? Um, to give a little background, I've discovered that I say, like, we grew up with this, but then I realized very recently through some discussions, not everybody has the exact same background as me. Um, one of the things that's important uh, to know is that I have done an excessive amount of church camps, way too many. And so because of that, um, if you start singing Waves of Mercy, I am walking out the door. You start busting out some yes, Lord, we're going. It's not happening, all right? I get it. I get it. Maybe that moves you, and that's fine. But I, it moves me somewhere else. So I need to give you that heads up, because that was every morning for four days of camp. You know, Monday, you didn't, you didn't have that. It was Tuesday morning, and it was Friday morning, and so... I think it's like 132 times that, like, if, if we did it on average, like, I, I did the math, and I was like, yeah, I've heard those songs about 132 times, so, and I got all in, all in people, like, I, I did my part, now my part's done, and we're not doing it anymore, so, but because of that, I also sat through, like, I can't tell you the number of, of cry nights I sat through, um, and at, you know, that's Thursday night, everything's emotional, like, really, it's just a complete lack of sleep, but it's emotional. Um, there's one camp I did where, this is unnecessary, but I'm bringing you in on it, um, where, like, the lady who ran the camp wanted the emotional thing every night, and so at 10.30 at night, she had this hour with her name in it. I'll leave it ambiguous. There's no way you know her, but I'm, I'll leave it ambiguous, and it would be her hour, and she would play a sad song on loop and present a sad question and just wait us out. It was terrible. And then a talent show every night after that. <laughs> every night after that. I had to MC the talent show and was, was told I couldn't let one kid perform and he was the only one who raised his hand and I was like, Bobby, come on up. So. All right, so I tell you all this to say, like, I heard, like, the sales pitch for Jesus over and over and over. Um, and then to find a Psalm 73 that is, is not the sales pitch we're looking for. It's not everything's going to work out and be fine. It is everything can be completely wrong. And... And God uses the, the struggles and the doubts of Asaph to help us figure out how to struggle and doubt. He equips us for a thing that we're going to do. It isn't a, like, if. It's a when. And this is a guy who, um, I mean, like, we all know Asaph's story. Clearly, he has a total of, like, a sentence outside of a book of Asaph. So I'll give you that. Um, a little context, obviously. Everything falls together. So this is the very beginning of book three in the Psalms. It's broken up into five books. Number three is considered the darkest. We're, we're kicking it off just right. Asaph has written 12 Psalms, and the like three verses in the Bible about him are found in 1 Chronicles 6, 31 through 33, where it just lists off like kind of who he is. Like, anytime it says the sons of Korah, the sons of Korah are also in there. And there's a very long list of all of their, like, you know, so-and-so begets, so-and-so begets, so-and-so. And it does the same with 
with ASAP. So you don't have to turn there. You can just take my word for it. If you want to turn there later, I support it entirely, but I'm not going to read it for you. Um, and so like, it tells us that he's a Levite. It tells us that he ministered with song. That makes sense. And it says he was appointed by David to be in charge of the service of songs in the house of the Lord. So that's what we know about Asaph. He was the, the music guy. So, um, and so like, I just want to go through this together with you and, and look at, at all the things that it says and some of the things that it doesn't say. And so looking at what it says, just a high arching view. I also, I mean, like I, I love the Bible and its words like this one has the sentence, uh, eyes bulging out with fatness. I don't know what that looks like, but I mean, like, I, you know, like in, in the time, obviously, uh, attractiveness over the years has undulated. And so like, there's, there's no specific, like back then, I believe, uh, if you were fat, you looked great to the people. <laughs> so, so here they say all these statements that are like, their bodies are fat and sleek. I don't want that descriptor. <laughs> I don't know if anybody's like jealous of me. Like, look at Sean. He is fat and sleek. <laughs> oh, okay. I'll cut down. But back then, that was like, you were rich. You had it all. You didn't have to worry about working. You didn't have to worry about starving. You, you had it going on. And so, um, but it, it says all these things. So some of the things that it says, it just, just walking through the, 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 all the points here. Like, he begins, like, we, you know, we could call this a framed psalm. He begins with a statement, truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. So, this is where he starts saying, like, we trust that God is good. And then his very next sentence is like, oh, okay, so he's shifting gears. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They're not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. So I know that God is good. But I am envious of the arrogant. And then later, he directly says, My heart was embittered because my life was hard. And he, he, doesn't, uh, he doesn't shy away from any of the things he felt. And he doesn't gloss over them. So those are the things that it says. So, uh, like, those are the main points. And it doesn't, it doesn't end there. But some of the things that it doesn't say, which I think are important, it doesn't say, well, others have it worse than me. He's not consoled by that sort of statement. He's not like, I saw people who have it great, but people have it worse than me, so I feel better. Uh, I, I am never for that sort of consolation. Uh, he doesn't begin any sentence in here with the phrase, at least. It's, it's pretty big. I'm going to spend a little time on that later. Um, and then he also doesn't spend any time saying, like, I, I deserve worse. This is, this is tough, but I deserve worse. I don't find that very comforting in most situations. Maybe you do. I, we're not all the same. But as for me, I, uh, if, you, if I am going through a rough time and you give me a, uh, 
at least. Others have it worse. I've had it worse. Like, I'm, I appreciate your time, and I'm not saying anything until the conversation's done. Um, and so he doesn't do any of that stuff, and I think that is very helpful to us. But also, where, where it gets to. So, so he says, like, therefore pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Um, also in the NLT, if anybody's got the NLT today, it refers to them as those fat cats. I love that too. Um, but uh, their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice. Loftily, they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens and their tongues strut through the earth. Also, like every translation says, uh, their tongues strut through the earth. Uh, one, I think, like the, uh, it wasn't the NLT, it was like NSRV, said like that their tongues swagger throughout the earth. So like, they just say they got it going on. They recognize that. Some people have it better than us. Um, Therefore, his people turn back to them and find no fault to them. And they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the most high? Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches. And then he's going to take a little, little time on some introspection. All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long, I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. Which I think is really interesting that a psalm that went to all the generations of his children says that. He thought, I shouldn't tell anybody about this. Clearly, he thought twice. And now he's telling everybody about this. A note for later. Um, But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I discerned their end. Truly you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. Like a dream when one wakes, O Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in my heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast toward you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. Shifting gears to what's important here. He went into the sanctuary. He is acknowledging what he did, how he felt. And then he is saying, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will receive me to glory. I don't have all that they have, but I have you now, and I will have you later, and they have all they have now, and then they have nothing. And I don't know if that's the kind of consolation that it could be. I think it's more of a motivator to me. And then he says, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it's good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all your works. Which you guys didn't know that we were going to be reading this together, but all of the songs today were spot on. 
Great job, Maddie. Way to take that credit. She didn't take the credit, people. All right. So where he ends, um, so one of my favorite movies ever is It's a Wonderful Life. I don't think it's exclusively a Christmas movie. So there. And in the end, one of the things is that nothing in that dude's life changes. When he's done and he's done his whole thing with Clarence, like, nothing got better. His lip is still bleeding. He still made a bunch of people mad, but his focus changed. (laughs) Which I'm not always just saying, like, change your focus and everything's going to get better. That's not the case. But our focus is very important here. And at this point, he changes his focus drastically and, says, and, and looks to God and looks to what he has. And so we read this, and my first question is, is this okay? Is it okay to say any of these things? Is it okay to say that I am bitter? And I believe with all of my being, the answer is yes. And that's why it exists for us to read and say. And we are supposed to uproot the seeds of bitterness. We know that that's the case. And so if we just suppress it, that's not uprooting. That's, they're, they're still there. Uh, this very week, this is confession time. You know every time I preach, I'm going to tell you something about me. This very week, talking to one Daniel Ferris Bourne, um, he said, hey, I'm worried about you in this, in this area. Um, and I see if, if you don't do something about that, the roots of bitterness are going to grow. And I was like, thank you for saying that. And I think they already have. And then I was like, but I don't know what to do about it. Like, just being honest with you, there is a thing in my life that I don't... I can't solve with a conversation. It's just like there, and this isn't the context in which I would share it with all. Normally I would, but I wouldn't want to hurt anybody's feelings who's causing that bitterness. It's none of you guys, just so you know. But like, uh, but, but with that, like he just directly said that. And I think that that's important for us to be able to identify in others, to be able to identify in ourselves, and, and that's okay. Because that's a that's a, a, a real emotion. So, um, in this whole line of questioning, do we think? I I'm going to tell you. I don't think that God hears these statements and is like, "How dare you?" And I say that because of a few other examples throughout the the text. Like this isn't like a. Uh, this is a direct, but not, not aggressive saying like, there, there is no God and I don't, I don't trust him. It's laying it all out there. And so some of the good company that Asaph is in would be John the Baptist. In Matthew 11, we have the story of John the Baptist is in prison and he tells, tells his disciples to go talk to Jesus. And he says, ask him if you're who, we wait, who we're waiting for, or if we need to keep waiting. And Jesus at no point says like, how dare he? What he says is, tell him what you see. That 
The dead are being raised, the blind are receiving their sight, and the good news is being preached. Blessed is he who doesn't fall away on account of me. And then he says, what did you guys go out in the desert to see? Did you go to see a, a broken reed? No. John is the best. He speaks very highly of John after that. And John, I think, is expressing a whole lot of doubt, even though he was the guy who was like, this is him, we've been waiting for him. And then later he's like, are you him? Like, that, that happens. Um, and then also, if you look in Revelation 6, 9 through 11, it's, it's when the fifth scroll is being broken. And all of the martyrs say, are you going to do anything about this? Like, we all, we all died for you, and you haven't done anything yet. And Jesus' response is actually, well, it's not over yet. And it's going to get worse before it gets better. He doesn't say, how dare you? He said, he listens to them. And so in the same way, I think when we bring these things to God, he hears us. And he cares. So what do we do when in, in our times of doubt and suffering? And yes, I realize the irony of a guy in a Hawaiian shirt talking about suffering while making you suffer. Um, but so what do we do? Obviously, the first thing we do is we turn to God. He is fully aware of our doubts and our bitterness he is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. We're not, we're not taking advantage of his kindness. It's not sinning and saying, like, God's going to forgive me anyhow. Like, it's not that. It's, it's bringing to him and saying, I am really struggling in this moment, and I need you. I need you to help me. I need you to remind me of your goodness. And we have the freedom to ask a God who would give us his son to remind us of his goodness. And also to remember that he did not promise us easy lives. His life would have looked significantly different if he in any way was promising us an easy life. Like, for me, um, I was listening to a conversation with, with Paul Tripp this week, so I'm going to give him the credit. But he was like, in the event uh, that, that God had promised us that our lives would be easy, he is a miserable failure. But he is not. Because at no point did he promise us easy lives. In fact, he promised us difficulties. But then the promises that we can hold to are the promises that he promised he would never leave us or forsake us. And that he would always be with us. And that he, when he went away, he was going to give us a helper. And so we have those things. We have those promises. And we also, as we experience them, as we experience suffering and difficulty, as it says in, in 2 Corinthians like in chapter 1, that he, with the comfort with which he comforts us, we can later comfort others as they're suffering. Which is the other thing that, that we should do and, and the tool we have. We have the church. Asaph says, I went to the sanctuary. He didn't say, like, like he says, I, was, I wasn't going to say anything to anybody. But instead, he, he goes to the sanctuary. We have the church, we have the body to reach out to and say, this is how I'm feeling. 
for those of you wondering what to do when somebody brings this to you, um, I would say, listen. Offer support. Pray with them. And listen. Those are the big things that I can give you. There's nothing crazy. Yeah, I'm, not, I'm not giving you anything that's like, whoa. Um, the things that I would strongly discourage uh, would be attempts to interpret the, these experiences for them. When somebody is bringing you something um, and you say things to them like, well, this is what I think it means. Ah, you better be right. <laughs> like, you know, if, if I don't bring to you some sort of weird confession and talk about the passing of my mom, it's not a sermon. So here it is. So when my mom died, I heard so many crazy things that were like, my desire to be polite is overriding my frustration in this moment. But like, you know, folks were like, heaven just needed another angel. What? That doesn't, she didn't become something different. That doesn't work. Oh, she's now six feet tall and singing to Jesus. My mom was five, or not five, four eleven. I don't know if there was any need for her to have gained a foot in an inch. What is that about? Like, stop interpreting these things for me. I think my favorite moment was when somebody realized that we're all going to be okay and made a your mom joke to me. And then I was like, all right, we're moving on. Thank you. Thank you. I'm still, I'm still Sean, who I always was before. I'm just a little sadder. But I can, I can hear the jokes. Um, so, um, in, in any way, um, one of the things that I would discourage is responding with behavior that reflects Job's friends. Job's friends were terrible friends. And they spent so much time. Job is such a long book, full of so many times of being like, well, you know what you did. You had this coming because of this. And Job's like, this is unhelpful. <laughs> Stop talking to me like this, everybody. And then, you know, like it just keeps getting worse and worse and worse. Don't, don't do that. Don't tell people why they deserve the suffering that they're receiving. Not helpful. Um, and then, of course, to bring it back a little bit, don't begin any sentence with, at least. Well, well, at least. That, that perspective shifting of sorrow is... I've, I've never experienced it work. I've not, I've not been in a genuine heartbreaking situation and been like, well, at least. Mm -mm -mm. That's right. Like, yeah, my mom. Well, at least she died in her sleep. Yeah, that's cool for me to say, not you. <laughs> um, okay, so the truths that I want you to know after, after all this, like I, I glossed over. Number one, I think... For us, comparison is unhelpful and an important thing to remember. In verse 3, like what he says, and, and I mean this positively and negatively, but verse 3 says, For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Like his first move was like, I, they've got it so much better. His story never changes. They still have it better. It turns out some people have it better than you. Check out Instagram. But like, 
one of the other examples of, of, of comparison that I think is really helpful to remember um, is, so the end of John, uh, John uh, 21, 21 through 22, they're walking down the beach. Jesus is back. He just fed them a, a delicious fish dinner and they're walking along and he and Peter, like he tells Peter how he's, he's going to suffer. And then Peter's like, what about John? And Jesus says, if he remains until I come back, what's it to you? I, I, I love that his, his sentence as translated in the ESV is, what's that to you? I think that's an important thing for us to remember. God is going to give to, to other people different than he's going to give to you. Your story is, is yours. And, and others can, can help you in that. But, you know, just like, just like parenting, you know, I don't know if for any, any of the parents in the audience, for any, any non-parents, here's the background. You are telling your kid, don't do this thing. And their response, we really, we really want, okay, dad. The response is never, okay, dad. The response is, what about him? Hmm? And then my response is always, it's not, it, it'll be his turn in a second. It's you right now. Like, for us, looking at other people's situations, like, we have a relationship with Jesus. It's not a cut and dry, like, this goes this way. And so comparing is never going to be helpful. Um, and also, just in general, one of the things is we love to compare our worst day with somebody else's best day. And that's never fair or accurate. Like, if you were to look at somebody else's job and be like, oh, man, they get to do all these sweet things, you know, in a day. Crystal got to go to Fiddlesticks. Her job's so much cooler than me, and she saw Erica Darnell today, and probably like all my friends, and I had a trash bag hit me in the face. <laughs> I mean, that is every day, but it's not the worst part of my day. Like, comparisons, okay, that's her day. I'll have to take a job. But, like, like it is unhelpful and important to remember, we want to compare their best day, their best situation with our worst and be like, they've got it so much better than us. And some people do. Okay, number two, uh, those who don't know Jesus only have this life. Verses 18 and 19, truly you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin, how they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. Those who don't know Jesus, this is it for them. From, from their perspective, all they've got is this moment. And so, but, but we, have, we have more. We have hope. Like theirs is, is a hope of an upward trajectory, which does not exist. Solomon tells us in Ecclesiastes, time and chance happen to everyone. Some people do have things go great for them. And sometimes they fall apart. And for us, when they fall apart, we are not left to our own devices, but we have, we still have Jesus. Which, which is not just a, well, but at least you still have Jesus. It is we have Jesus, far greater than anything else that we could have. 
Um, and so I think looking at that, it should squash envy because we know we have a, a, a greater and, and richer hope than others have. It should squash feeling like happy when, when something falls apart for somebody who's got it good. And, and we all have those moments where we're like, they got the comeuppance. Like, yes, but actually we have been given hope. We at one time were enemies of God. We read that together this morning for Romans 5, 1 through 6, that there was a time in which we were condemned, but we are no longer. We have hope, which we live in a town that has little hope if you look around. There are people that need the hope of Jesus and, and not just the, the condemnation of somebody in a better position. Like, we have hope. We, that, is, that is one of the things that, that we really want as a body is to use the, the hospitality, the relationships we have to, to invite people in like we intentionally give a welcome because we want everyone to feel welcome when they come in, that, that we remember, you know, who has been forgiven little loves little, who's been forgiven much loves much. We have been forgiven much, and we know it, and we need to be reminded of that. Number three, verses 23 through 28. We have hope in this life and the life to come. Nevertheless, I am continually with you, that, that was then when he was sad, and that was now. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward, you will receive me to glory. I have you now. I have you later. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it's good to be near God. I will make the Lord God my refuge, that I might tell of all your works. And then, number four, we do not need to shrink back from suffering, from, from feeling our own, from being there for others, uh, and I think one of the most important things that we can remember is that we have a Savior who understands that, who experienced suffering, who has experienced loss and betrayal, who has, has experienced his friends not being there for him when he needs them and, and turning their back on him. Except the difference is when we have experienced these things, it was thrust upon us. When Jesus experienced that, he chose it willingly. And I think that is something to comfort us in our times of suffering. So I am going to pray for us. And then we're going to take some time and celebrate the Lord's Supper. And so, um, and as, as we do that, um, we get get to take a moment and we look and we remember what Jesus did on our behalf, his, his willingness to, to suffer in our place, on our behalf, willingly. Um, he, he chose that, that we would have a relationship with God. 
that, that we would be able to turn to him in times of need, that we could trust in him. And, and it is the very evidence of, of why we can trust in him. And the resurrection is what gives us hope. If that didn't happen, we of all people would be pitied. So I'm going to pray for us. And you are welcome to, uh, to the Lord's Supper. It's, we have all the elements right up there. Anybody who uh, has placed their faith in Jesus, you don't, you don't need to be a member of Believer's Church. Anybody who has placed their faith in Christ is welcome to it. So I'm going to pray for us. Father, thank you that you are kind and good. That you love us that you hear us, that you are near, that you hold us by our right hand, that you give us your counsel. And in the end, we will be received into your glory. Thank you for that. Thank you for Jesus' finished work. Thank you that Jesus knows suffering and hardship. Father, help us to find our comfort in you. Continue to conform us to your image and make us more like Jesus. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.